Hello and welcome to the final Rivals Rankings podcast for the 2024 recruiting cycle. I'm National Recruiting Analyst and Rankings Director Adam Friedman, and I'm here with National Recruiting Analyst John Garcia to talk about the final rankings highlights all over the country, but also in the Southeast. The, John, the biggest headliner out of your region is the number one player in the country, Jeremiah Smith. He moved up to number one in the Rivals 250 after the season, and he was really part of this conversation from... I guess probably in the middle of the summer, we started to have an inkling that this guy was not just special, but just almost generational. He's the best receiver to come out of Florida really since what Jerry Judy, right? Yeah. And, and that's obviously high praise, Belitnikoff award winner. And, and of course, first round pick of the Denver Broncos, but look, Jeremiah Smith has pretty much everything you could look for in a wide receiver recruit. You know, I think, Early on, the eval was, hey, this, this kid is really long and athletic. Let's see what he does when, when he puts on some muscle. And then all of a sudden, about a year ago, it's like overnight. He was 210 pounds and rocked up and ready to go. And it was like, whoa. But all of the athletic traits, all of the ball skills and the wow ability all stuck with him. But he also polished up. And I think that's really where he really started to make his claim as the number one guy. Because, look. It's a great year for wide receivers. It's it's probably the, the theme in the South. It's probably the theme nationally. But really, once he started polishing up and separating himself athletically from those guys, that's really when the number one conversation started to make a whole heck of a lot of sense because everybody knows, right? Wide receivers don't go number one. Hasn't happened since Keyshawn Johnson in 1996. Rivals hasn't had a number one recruit in about a decade, going back to Doriel Green Beckham. But look, some of the flaws in, in some of those guys that we just mentioned don't exist with Jeremiah. Big, fast, strong, polished. And my favorite thing about him is that he's a worker. He's a business-like approacher to everything he does, whether it's football, whether it's doing the 100-meter the hurdles, the 310-meter hurdles in track where he is a state champion. Uh, everything he does is calculated and, and, and planned. You know, And I think that's really where he separates himself just from a mentality standpoint compared to some of these others that are just as freaky athletically, but maybe not as advanced in between the ears. And I think that's why we feel so strongly about Jeremiah, not only as a number one recruit, but as the number one receiver, because the floor and the ceiling are, are both sky high. Exactly. I mean, you mentioned just now, the one, the, just the third receiver to finish number one in the rivals, 250, Doyle Green Beckham and Percy Harvin being the other two. Uh, out of the Southeast, uh, you know, a bunch of top top players there, five stars. I think you had, um, what, more than 10, close to 15, if I remember correctly, out of the Southeast. Dylan Rayola, Ellis Robinson, Ryan Williams, also out of the Southeast. You were a big Ryan Williams fan, but I think you were most outspoken about Ellis Robinson coming into uh, the final rankings meeting, and you didn't really come up against much resistance. He finished at number three, the Georgia signee, top-ranked uh, defensive player in the class. Um, you, know, you really did go to bat for him. There are a few other players, though, that, that I know you kind of stuck your neck out for a little bit. Anybody else that you really want to put, put your stamp on here on the call on the on this uh, rankings podcast, uh, having having really just put your put your neck out for them, I guess. Yeah, I think there's several. I mean, you mentioned uh, you know Ryan Williams, certainly the youngest player in, in mm -hmm. this Rivals 250, and for a time, you know, looked better than Jeremiah Smith briefly during the All Star circuit, and that, that's really crazy to think about for a guy who's right now, as we record this, 16 years old. But I think that's how dynamic Ryan Williams could be. Um, you mentioned Ellis Robinson as well. 
a lot of questions, you know, when he made that move from the Northeast down to IMG Academy, he dealt with injuries as well. Hey, how fast is he? He's big, strong, he's physical, he's smart, great ball skills, but can he really run with these elite receivers? And over the last year, we've seen him cover Jeremiah Smith. We've seen him cover Cam Coleman. We've seen him cover Ryan Williams, and he's won reps against all of those guys. I would say he's won more than he's lost against the majority of those. I think him and Jeremiah are, are closer to 50-50. So he's answered all of those questions in a live competitive setting. And when you think of the modern traits at that position with his length, which is, you know, akin to some offensive tackles in this class, I I really think he ran away with the number one cornerback spot. Um, And and that was something that maybe I didn't anticipate a year ago uh, at this time. Uh, So I think he was one that will kind of stamped his, his moment. I think David Stone was another, you know, that one was not, a lock. Um, not only did he finish as the number one defensive tackle, but he finishes as, you know, the number one defensive lineman, you know, and, and going into, I would say the, the 2023 season, you, you had a lot of great content contenders, Williams, one uh, Dylan Stewart, certainly among those, uh, a lot of great edge players, a lot of great pass rushers. So for stone to, to hang in there and finish as the number one guy, I thought said a lot, but again, kind of like Ellis Robinson, We've just seen him do it against everybody, whether it's Friday nights uh, at IMG or certainly every camp and all-star setting possible. These guys have, have sort of earned their way there. And I think the the sleeper one that we were higher on than most all the way through is probably Booker Pickett, you know, a guy who is incredibly long, uh, incredibly skilled coming off the edge. But again, a lot of questions. How big is he now? How big can he get? Well, he showed he, he could put on a little bit of weight and still be really the twitchiest edge in the country. I think he had 50 sacks over the last two years, and in both all-star games he played in, he had impact plays, two sacks at the Under Armour game, a sack and an interception at the Polynesian Bowl. So Booker Pickett, uh, one of the biggest risers, I would assume, throughout the industry, but certainly for us, and one that we felt pretty good having in the Rivals 250 about a year ago this time. Well, yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. I mean, he was one of the players I wanted to hit on for you here in the Southeast. Biggest movers out of your area of the country. Jordan Ross up 46 spots in the final rankings update. Jameer Grimsley up 66 spots. LJ McRae up 79 spots. He was outstanding in San Antonio at the All-American Bowl there. Zay Mincy, same thing, up 82 spots. Booker Pickett up 104 spots. You've got uh, Kimon Lacey. I know he's out of Texas, but we really liked his film. You and I, we've, we've spoken spoken about that. So uh, a really a, a banner year in the Southeast, and that's not really nothing new for the Southeast in the Rivals 250. Uh, um, I wanted to thank you, John, for joining me here on the final rankings podcast, uh, Rivals rankings podcast of the 2024 cycle. Make sure you catch all of John's content on Rivals.com and follow all of his uh, all of his content on Twitter and Instagram. You can see his handle there at John Garcia underscore junior. Thank you, John. Thank you. I'm now joined by national recruiting analyst Greg Smith, who is here to talk about the final rankings highlights out of the Midwest region. Greg, out of the Midwest, Williams Winery finished number one in the region, followed by Justin Scott and then new five star Marquise Lightfoot. Uh-huh. You got a up close look at two of these three guys, but I wanted to start with Winery, who I got a close look at in Orlando at the Under Armour All-America game and the practices there. And boy, is he is he a really impressive looking prospect. He has all of the measurables you could want in a defensive end and, and really, you know, comes off the edge in a, in a 
impressive fashion. He had a great game uh, down there in Orlando, and you can really see the potential there. It'll be interesting to watch him develop once he arrives at Missouri and uh, really fills out his frame and handles the contact that's going to come with playing at a high level of, of college football in the SEC. When you watched Winery throughout the cycle and and got a you know got a close I guess a close look at him through other people, what were your thoughts on him uh, at the end of the day? Yeah, I think the the big thing for for me with him is that like he just looks the part, right? When you when you see him, he's a guy that that is already what six foot five, you know, in that 250, 260 pound range, um, with a lot of room to grow and add muscle mass in college. So I think that the couple keys for him moving forward will be can he like continue to add that mass and then stay like the same kind of explosive athlete that he currently is. And then on the other side is that can the Missouri coaching staff kind of bring that dog out of him completely right i think that that's that's going to be a huge thing because if they if both of those things happen i think we're talking about a future first round pick um it, that that's the type of potential that he has he's rated as such right um and so i'll be really curious to see his career unfold uh, down in missouri yeah and two other defensive linemen uh Landed in the five-star ranks. You know, one had been a five-star pretty much all along. And Justin Scott, he was the early commit to Ohio State, then flipped to Miami. Mm -hmm. And he was in San Antonio. You got a great close look at him. And then uh, the other one, a uh, new five-star in this mm -hmm. final update, Marquise Lightfoot, also a Miami signee. Uh, you know, he was really one of the stars of the whole All-American yeah. Bowl and, and in the practices leading up to it. Give me your, your lasting thoughts of these two defensive linemen. Yeah, I think the the first thing that that kind of stood out to me about Justin Scott is that he moves so much better than I expected to see him move. Like you see him on film, uh, and he moves pretty well there. But he plays some offensive line, some defensive line. Um, it's hard to kind of tell based on the competition. And then you see him down there in San Antonio against really high quality offensive linemen, and he just, he's very quick for that size. And I think a kid that can play either in, inside, um, kind of in that traditional pass rushing um, inside defensive tackle. You can also slide him out um, to play some of that defensive end and pass rush situations, which did happen down in San Antonio. Um, and so his quickness really stood out to me uh, when it came to Justin Scott. And then on the other side with Lightfoot, you want to talk about a guy who just burst on the scene for everyone, right? Like, I think that it was hard to have watched any of that and not come away completely impressed with him. Um, he was really unblockable all week. Like, it was really hard for those offensive linemen. A couple of them are going to have nightmares about him. They probably did. Did, um, after that week and the things that he did to them. Um, he did it all week in practice, then went out there in the game and performed that well again. Um, Miami getting a heck of a what trio of five stars actually on the defensive line. And I, I've written this a couple of times when it pertains to these two kids from the Midwest. I think in a few years, people are going to look up and be like, how in the world did none of the Big Ten schools or Notre Dame end up getting these two kids? Yeah, I mean, both of them were were incredibly impressive in, in San Antonio. Justin Scott, this was my first time seeing him in San Antonio. And I want to you know, basically echo everything that you already said about him. Moves incredibly well for a player of his size. He has some advanced hand techniques and really like where he's at physically. And, uh, you know, he definitely has room to continue to develop there. But he certainly comes into college really with a, you know, at a great spot. And then Lightfoot. You know, I wrote this uh, in the Biggest Movers article that came out earlier this week. Mm -hmm. 
Lightfoot is an apt name for him. He was so fast yeah. off the edge. He lived in the backfield during the All-American All Bowl. He was one of the stars there. And during practice, like you said, he terrorized those offensive tackles. Yeah. And um, you know, he's only going to get better at the college level. I expect he'll continue to get stronger and, and really use mm – -hmm really understand how to use that length and leverage that he brings to the table. Um, you know, going through the other players in the Midwest who landed in the higher end of the rivals 250, uh, Jeremiah McClellan, a receiver out of Missouri, but Coy Parrish was one of the biggest risers. And I think you were pretty outspoken about him during our final rankings call. And he was, he was again, one of the stars in San Antonio uh, at the all American bowl there. When you were watching Coy Parrish, the Minnesota signee in practice, and then, in the game what really stood out to you about his skill set and what we could see from him at the college level yeah I think you know it's funny the, the first thing that actually stood out to me was his competitiveness right I think that one of the things that is an easy question to ask every kid you talk to down there is how are you adjusting to the speed especially when you're coming from a smaller or a lower level um, guy like he was coming from Minnesota coming out to that situation where you're playing in an all-star game with a lot of guys going D1 and he like just straight up said I there wasn't an adjustment like it's been easier than I thought and that kind of made me perk up and go okay well then he goes out there and just performs the way that he did he was good all week in practice I think that you watch those practices and you're like you just keep writing down I think he was 26 like who's number 26 who's number 26 and then he goes out in the game and he made some great incredible plays in that game a diving interception he had a fumble recovery uh several tackles um and so you can see you can picture him as a guy that will eventually be kind of an all big 10 caliber safety in that Minnesota defense they always have really good defenses up there PJ Fleck knows what he's doing on defense um and so I think he's a really good player all around at safety. It's really easy also to see why a big time schools like Ohio State and Florida State came in at the end. He said Ohio State finished second for him, uh, but he wanted to be kind of the hometown hero and stick with them. And he thinks that Minnesota can help get him to the NFL just as well. Yeah, those Buckeyes almost got him there at the end, yeah. but he decided to stick with that commitment. One more thing I did want to point out about the Midwest this year, an excellent year for receivers in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. We're talking about Jeremiah McClellan, who signed with Oregon, Mylon Graham, Cam Williams, Ryan Wingo, all of these guys in the top 50 of the Rivals 250, expecting big things out of these guys in their college careers. Thank you to National Recruiting Analyst Greg Smith for joining me to break down the major rankings highlights in the Midwest. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Greg Smith Rivals. Thanks a lot, Greg. Yeah, thank you, man. I'm joined now by National Recruiting Director Adam Gorney, who's here to talk about the final rankings update. And really, Adam, this was kind of a historic class. Um, we have a receiver finishing number one in the Rivals 250. Really, just the third time that's ever happened. Jeremiah Smith signed with Ohio State. Really just an incredible prospect. Um, the other two receivers who finished number one in the Rivals 250 were Doyle Green-Beckham and Percy Harvin. And personally, I think Jeremiah Smith is a better prospect than both of them. Yeah, definitely. Then Doriel Green Beckham, um, who we just fell in love with his size and some of his playmaking ability. Jeremiah Smith has proven it pretty much for years um, on the field, in camps, in seven on seven. He played seven on seven with South Florida Express, which last year had Brandon Innes and Carnell Tate. Um, and he was right there with those guys, if not more physically impressive than them. Um, and now has taken over the number one spot. You know, if, if you look at historical trends, we probably should have gone quarterback. Um, but this was one of those years where we feel really good with Jeremiah Smith being number one. Not only is he a phenomenal player, but 
I absolutely love his personality. He wants to go out and dominate every time he's on the field. So uh, he's going to go to Ohio State. He's going to be a big outside receiver. Um, I'm not going to say Marvin Harrison. I'm not going to say he's the best receiver since Julio Jones, but he is an elite player uh, with a lot of playmaking ability. I personally think he's the best receiver prospect since like Jerry Judy. Um, I think he's he's right up there with some of those big time guys that um, you know everybody references, like a Julio or somebody like that. But you know, going out to to where you're based in the West Region, uh, number one player out there this year, Julian Sayan, who obviously signed with Alabama and has since transferred to Ohio State, followed by Kingston Viliamu Asa, and I, I think it's taken me the entire ranking cycle to get his name correct. Um, followed by new five stars, Avian Brown. Uh, number two offensive tackle in the country, Brandon Baker. Uh, those are the five stars from the West region this year. What were some of your lasting impressions of these guys? And who were you really kind of on the borderline of maybe being a five star, maybe, you know, be pushing further up the rankings there? Yeah. And, and that's the thing. I mean, um, you know, I think starting with saying what happened to him was really unfortunate because it's sort of a bad look to transfer before you even start playing. And he didn't want, you know, any of that controversy with, with Nick Saban retiring. I think that was definitely the factor. Um, he would have stayed at Alabama if not for that. He's super mature, super prepared, very technical, throws a very nice football and, uh, you know, can go to Ohio state and is now going to be surrounded by, you know, the best wide receivers in the country. So I think, that's a great situation. Kingston Villamuasa is incredibly mature um, and incredibly determined. Um, and then he has the athleticism and the physical toughness to go out and make plays. Um, Brandon Baker is not a guy who's just going to, you know, rack up the pancakes and just physically dominate you, but he never loses reps. He plays right tackle at modern day. Um, a lot of people kind of raised eyebrows about a right him playing right tackle. The reason he does that is because DeAndre Carter plays left tackle and it just works for them. So that's what they've done for years. DeAndre Carter is going to Auburn and Brandon Baker signed with Texas. Rarely, if ever, loses a rep. And then Xavier Brown, I, and I said this in another video, I think, you know, he, he probably should have been a five-star earlier. Um, he has all the attributes, um, very tough, competitive kid, talks a lot on the field, gets after it, um, has the length and the athleticism. And then, we saw him at the All-American Bowl, and he was really the only one that gave Jeremiah Smith any sort of, you know, problems or issues um, in one-on-one. So I think those four really stood out. If there was a fifth that we were thinking about, um, Nate Frazier would have been the guy. Um, modern day's running back. He split time with Jordan Davis in the 2025 five-star running back at modern day. And really, you know, honestly, didn't really get a lot of opportunities to do a whole lot in high school. Um, but but went to the All-American Bowl in San Antonio and just completely dominated and wanted to show that he could be at this elite level. So he definitely did that. He's an all-purpose back. You can give him the ball and he can run between the tackles. You can he can get outside and then he can catch it. So he's going to be a very versatile running back in the stable of running backs at Georgia. But that's kind of the highlights out West. Yeah, I remember seeing Nate Frazier come out East and play at St. Francis. And he, it struck me how angry he runs you know, it's almost like Isaiah Pacheco uh, in the NFL. He he has a burst to him. He he runs like he's angry at the ground. It's it's yeah. really impressive to see how how quickly he can really pick him up and put him down. And you know, I think another another guy who we were really impressed with throughout All Star season, like these guys, was Dominic McKinley. This was the first time you and I had gotten a chance to really lay eyes on him and kind of you know, eye him up and then watch him go through those practices at the Under Armour All-America uh, game. And 
And it was just kind of, wow, he was almost effortless out there. He's a big guy. He's lean. He's soft-spoken, though. It, it's yeah. it's really interesting to see where he's at in his development now and then what he could turn out to be uh, at the next level. Uh, he uh, committed to LSU, and I think he's he's going to be in a great situation over there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we had seen him um, at the Dallas Rivals camp last year, but he didn't participate. Um, which was disappointing because his younger brother did, and I, we definitely wanted to see uh, McKinley out there. Um, but like you said, off the field, you're you're like this guy's going to get pushed around and he's going to get manhandled. But when he get because he's so soft spoken, he like the end of his sentence just sort of fades away. That's how soft spoken he is. But he gets on the field and he gets really aggressive um, and, and pretty violent. And I remember one rep where he just sort of pushed the offensive lineman like straight down onto the field, which at the Under Armour game, those guys are no slouches. So he's a big guy. He's, you know, he's sort of still in his shell a little bit. I think that it's going to take a little bit of time for him to get out of that. Um, but you know, he, he's just going to be a, a quiet kid who goes out and really dominates on the field. So he has all the size and all the physical attributes in the world. Um, and he certainly doesn't play shy. No, of course not. And, you know, there were a couple other guys in the Mid-South region who who really impressed during All-Star season and finished among the top-ranked players in the country. Justin Williams was outstanding, uh, you know, when we saw him uh, during the All-Star season. But uh, another uh, a defensive lineman who, I guess, really shined, and we loved the way he looked, and he, he shot up to uh, five-star status, was Joseph Jonah Ajanye. Um, you know, he looks like he's just scratching the surface of his potential and he's going into an, another defensive lineman going into a great situation. Uh, you know, Ajani going to, to Georgia. I think he's got a chance to be a really special prospect there. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, t- the high school teammates, both five stars. Williams is maybe the best looking linebacker in the, in the entire class and, uh, you know, has all the potential in the world. And then Jonah Ajani, he just turned eight, <clears throat> 18 in November, so he's still young. Um, but physically, uh, it looks like a complete beast and then goes out onto the field and, and really proves it. He is, he is going into a situation where he's going to get developed, um, by one of the best defensive line coaches in the country. <clears throat> and he's has all the potential to be a first round pick. So after seeing him at the Under Armour game, seeing him all week in practice and time and time again, I remember just like not being used to the numbers and of who was who. And I'm looking at him and go, who is that? Who is that? And Every time he was just very, very impressive in a group that was pretty loaded, um, pretty loaded across the board there um, with, you know, David Stone and Dominic McKinley. He still stood out um, a whole lot. So there's a, a lot of potential for a young defensive lineman um, who I would not be surprised is, is a household name in a couple of years. For sure. For sure. And another one uh, out of Texas, Xavier uh, Filsimi. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, flipped from Florida to Texas. He rose up to a number uh, to a five star and uh, really pushed KJ Bolden for the number one safety spot. Really loved his skill set. He's kind of has a as a cornerback skill set, but plays uh, as a safety plays from depth. He's a physical player. He's physically developed. He's muscled up. He's not a play, afraid to to uh, push some guys around down the field and um, certainly not afraid to. Uh, come up and uh, support uh, against the run. I think he's going to be a great player over at Texas. But I did want to get your thoughts on one of the players who's generated some of the most conversation in this class, uh, five-star quarterback DJ Lagway. We saw him at, at Under Armour, and um, you know we're, we're really impressed with how he came in physically um, and how he was able to move for a big guy like that. And you know when he started throwing the ball around, it was a little bit of a different story. And uh, I think the, the He's obviously a five-star. We still love his potential to be a, a possible first-round pick. But, um, 
you know, there's going to be some some learning curve there when it comes to throwing the ball, reading defenses, timing up with his receivers. And you know, I guess what were your thoughts on where he ended up and and that final evaluation of Lagway? Yeah, so I, I would say there's a, there's a lot of thoughts here. One is that he's still a, he's a five star quarterback, which means we think he's going to have a phenomenal college career and be a potential first round NFL draft pick. So it doesn't really get much better than that. So if there's any sort of criticism about where he landed in the five star range, I mean, I guess you can kind of bellyache about it a little bit. But he's you know of the thousands upon tens of thousands of high school football players. We think he's one of the best 30 in the country. So that's uh, that's pr pretty much saying something. He looks great. Um, it, it, the issue is, is that when he's in, you know, I, I get it at Willis, Texas, he's putting up huge numbers um, and, and he's a gamer. Okay. But on a national level, he did struggle uh, zipping the ball where it needed to be and and accuracy now i will say he's not the only quarterback that did that all-star weeks are very difficult on quarterbacks because they need to learn new systems they need to develop chemistry with receivers in like three days of of sort of 50 percent go practice this isn't they have you know i would i would venture to guess and i've seen many of them uh spring practices across the country look ugly because there's just no chemistry between the players yet so um, it is a very difficult situation um, for, for any quarterback. Quarterback was every year we go to Under Armour and every year we go to the All-American Bowl and we're like, yeah, the quarterbacks just weren't great. So when they are great, uh, you're like, wow, this guy is really good. So Lagway struggled a little bit during the practices and the game. Um, you know, and I'm not making this comparison, but Trevor Lawrence struggled at the All-American Bowl too. So it's not a final evaluation that we're dropping the kid and he's going to be terrible at Florida. It's none of that. But we did feel, uh, you know, considering what we saw from Dylan Riola at Poly Bowl um, and then uh, what we've seen from Julian Sayan over the years, uh, you know, and, and Aaron Oland over the years, especially all of them on the same field at the Elite 11 this summer, uh, that that lagway was fourth among that group. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. And, um, you know, just to finish up here out of the East region, some really impressive prospects making waves at all-star games and, and finishing highly in the Rivals 250 in the final version there. Dylan Stewart, the five, the lone five-star out of the East, um, you know, physically one of the most impressive looking prospects you're going to find in this class. Um, he was uh, pretty good in the all Under Armour All-America game uh, in the, he had an up and down week of practices there. And, you know, unfortunately we didn't get to see Gerby Lambert, uh, one of the top ranked offensive tackles in the country. Uh, he signed with Notre Dame and, but we love what he's put on film this year coming out of Massachusetts quarterback Jaden Davis finishes in uh, number 59 in the rivals 250 signed with Michigan uh, really a gamer there. And, uh, you know, throws a really pretty deep ball. Um, one of the players that we were both really excited to get a, a closer look at was Josiah Thompson, the offensive tackle signed with South Carolina finished number 63 overall. Um, you know, I think this guy certainly has first round potential, but there is going to be a steep learning curve, a steep developmental curve for him. Once he arrives at the next level, just, a lot of work he's going to need to do to physically mature before he's able to be relied upon um, at the college level. When you watch Thompson and, you know, got a really good feel for where he was in, in his process, what stood out to you, Adam? Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And, and really uh, I'm okay with Josiah Thompson because we oftentimes fall in love with guys who are maxed out physically along the offensive line. 
um, and then they sort of reach peak development in high school and then don't get much better. So a lot of first round draft picks and especially into the second round are guys who are like 265, 270 in high school and then develop in college um, to get over to three over 300 pounds. So to see him, he was light. It seemed like he was just smaller uh, than a lot of the offensive tackles in the game from a development standpoint. Um, so, so today, I don't think he's a five star. I think we could possibly regret that down the road if he can get, you know, bigger and stronger and more technically sound. I think then, um, you know, we'll see how that goes at South Carolina. Um, but you know, if you're if you're gambling on making someone a five star or not, you should the 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 percentage is that they're not going to be a five star. I mean, a first round draft pick. Um, so, so you lean on the side of caution there. So, um, I definitely think Thompson has a lot of development to do, but so have many other first round NFL draft picks. So I like that, um, he's not maxed out physically. We've fallen in love with those guys over the years and a lot of them didn't pan out. Um, Thompson should be just fine in Columbia. Right. And, and only, you know, only 62 other players in America were ranked higher than him. So 63 is a pretty lofty ranking. So Adam, that does it for the final rivals rankings podcast for the 2024 recruiting cycle. Thank you so much for joining me. That's national recruiting director, Adam Gorney. I'm national recruiting analyst and rankings director, Adam Friedman. Please remember to subscribe to the rivals.com YouTube channel and follow all the rival social media accounts. And of course you can find all of our content on rivals.com.